Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carl. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. That was the weakest woo that I've probably heard in my life. I would you rather be silent than go, ooh. what's up, One Church? That was fake, but I'm glad you faked it anyway. So glad that you guys are here. Welcome. We're so glad you're connecting with us. Shout out to everyone watching online right now, wherever you are around the world. We are glad that you're connecting with us, video venue on Facebook. We just love that we get to be one church in many, many locations. Thanks to your generosity. Thanks to technology. Thanks to our awesome media team doing an awesome job making sure that we don't suck online. That's a really cool thing that that happens. We're wrapping up our Acts series uh, with this new series titled Liberated. In the summer of 2017 as a church, we started on this journey through the book of Acts. The book of Acts uh, found in our New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Right there after the story of Jesus is the story of the church, how the early church took the message of Jesus and spread it all over the world. We learn about the leaders and the faithful servants and those who some paid a high price, even the ultimate price, to let the world know that God is for them and to tell this awesome truth that Jesus is alive. So we learn all of that in the book of Acts. In our series, we learned that it all starts with one. It started with one man, Jesus, and his sacrifice, and his death, burial, resurrection, and his message, and his challenge to his followers to go and take that truth everywhere. And so we now are living in the wake of what started with one person. We learned that because of what Jesus did as a church now, we are sent not to gather and stay in four walls of a church building, but we're sent out into the world to be the hands and the feet of Jesus and do the great things that he did, and to connect people with the awesome truth of who he is. And then we learn that because of the love Jesus has for us, that it compels us to be bold, and it compels us to be for our community. In fact, we did our four Clarksville series just right after we talked about being compelled to go and follow, or maybe we did it before. Either way, around that time of four Clarksville, we talked about how we're compelled because of what Jesus did. You notice the theme in all of these series, it's never about us. It's never about us keeping our gifts and talents and abilities to ourselves, but it's about sharing this awesome truth of Jesus. A couple months ago, we asked the question, what are we willing to be arrested for? And we wrestled with this, this tough truth that when we say yes to Jesus, we're arrested by him. Like he, not in a bad way, but in a good way, our lives change. The trajectory of what we were doing changes when we meet him. So we, we asked the question, what am I willing to be arrested for? What do I do when I can't tell my friends from my enemies? How do I suffer well? And we learned all that. And you can go to onechurch.tv if you missed any of those messages. Catch up on those. Today, though, we kick off Liberated. We'll be in Acts 27, or 26, 27. Then we'll do two weeks in Acts chapter 28. And that'll be it for the book of Acts. Uh, and, and that's awesome, I think, that you can say you've gone through the entire book now. Chapter by chapter, we've broken it down. We'll be in Acts chapter 26 today, though. We'll get there in just a few minutes. It'll be on the screen or your Bible app if you have that. Uh, when my wife and I, Jamie, first got married, we lived in Tampa, Florida. That's where I'm born and raised, in Tampa. We had a small apartment in Tampa, and we lived very close to, at the time, what was the brand-new Raymond James Stadium, home of my beloved Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's where I grew up, right there. What's cool about where our apartment was is on, on game day, if the Bucks were at home, we could actually open our front door, and you could hear the crowd noise from the stadium. You could hear the cannons go off 
if the Bucks scored. It was pretty cool living that close to the stadium area. One day, one Sunday, we were inside the house watching the game kick off, and, you know, they're doing the pregame show and all that, and they do, uh, you know how they typically do a flyover sometimes, uh, have helicopters or some kind of jets fly over. Well, Tampa uh, has a very big uh, Air Force base there. Many of you know McDill Air Force Base, and there's some uh, not-so-public units that happen to do business there, and so you get to see some cool things if you're in the McDill area. You, if you guys... Uh, know what I'm talking about if you've been around that area. You get to see some cool things. Well, I'm watching TV, and they're doing the flyover, and they say, now this B-2 bomber is going to do the flyover. And I jump off my couch, run outside. I, I don't want to em embellish the story, but I don't know if I was really go outside decent. doesn't matter because a B-2 was flying over, and I got outside in time to watch, like, the clouds parting as this awesome B-2 stealth bomber, this guy is flying low altitude over the city of Tampa, having just done the flyover. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen in the air. Up to that point, it was anyway. Amazing, powerful machine. It looked like it was just hanging in the air. Like it was flying so, it looked slow to me, but it just looked like it was kind of free floating up there, just taking its sweet time, cutting through the clouds. It was just the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life watching this thing. And, and it reminded me when I saw this of back during the first Gulf War when the stealth bomber and stealth fighters became a thing. We Publicly, we actually got to hear about these super secret planes that can go far and, and penetrate enemy defenses without anyone being able to trace them. Amazing power cloaked undercover. That's what I see when I see this stealth bomber. You see these stealth fighters. It's amazing power cloaked undercover. Before he even realizes that, that it can hit you, it's already done so. And I just thought, man, that was amazing, a sight to see on my own. Hang with me. I, I've made a lot of mistakes in my time in ministry, uh, too many to count. I could probably write a book on uh, things to not do as a pastor by Carlo, right? Like dumb thing. Don't do this. Don't say this. You probably don't want to do that. Don't post on Facebook that you're the hip hopopotamus. Your lyrics are bottomless. Some of y'all who were here a couple weeks ago, y'all get that joke, right? You might not want to do that. Save yourself some heartache. Uh, from being a people pleaser to answering questions that no one was asking, I've made my share of mistakes in my years being a pastor. But I think one of the biggest mistakes that I made was trying to live in stealth mode, living life like one of these bombers. Amazing power inside, cloaked undercover so that no one can see who I really am. I remember preaching a Sunday night service about 11 years ago. For those of you who are new to church, some churches do church on Sunday night. For those of y'all who are not new to church, you say amen. One church doesn't do church on Sunday night, right? We're preaching a Sunday night church service, and it was an awesome time. And I don't remember what I talked about, but I remember a mentor of mine at the church. He pulled me aside afterward and said, hey, can I talk to you a little bit about the message? And I'm like, okay, sure. You know, I start to clinch up a little bit because typically when people want to talk to you about the message, it's not good. Uh, if someone says, can I talk to you about the message? It's usually, for me, hasn't historically been a good sign uh, that they're about to tell me how God touched their heart and how that was life-changing. Uh, so he pulls me aside. And he says, man, that was a great message. Great job. So your theology was sound. Man, you made sense. It was logical. It was awesome. But one thing you lack. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, oh, Lord, here we go. What's he going to say? And he said, you sound like every other pastor on this staff. 
and he began to just list out for me, like he actually took notes. Do you know you did this little mannerism like nine times in your message? That's the same thing this other guy does. And do you know you use this phrase like 15 times throughout your talk? And that's what Pastor so-and-so does. And what he was saying, and he wasn't being mean about it at all, but what he was telling me is, hey, that was a great message, but where was Carlo? That was a great sermon, but you're kind of being a fake, man. Like, where are you at in all this? And again, he was gentle and and loving in, in how he said it, but it was so true. In my fear of not wanting to rock the boat on that church staff, I allowed myself to become a clone of every other pastor that was on the staff. I copied their mannerisms. I said the things that they would say. I tried to preach in the same outline style that they did. I was new, and I didn't know any better, but I, I know what I did know is that I was terrified of messing up, and I was terrified of someone seeing the real me because I didn't want to be judged out of the place, to be honest. And so my friend, as he pulled me aside and shared that he called a boldness and a creativity out of me that I knew existed, but I was afraid to really let anybody see. That one conversation sent me on a crash course with who I am today. How about you? You ever had to fake it till you make it? You ever stifled your personality to fit in with the crowd? You ever denied something that was really inside of you because you didn't know how someone else would take it? You wanted to be real, but you were like, uh, I don't know if I can let it all the way out. Have you ever tried to be something that you're not? You ever lived in stealth mode? Amazing power cloaked undercover. Don't want anyone to really see who you are. If there's one thing that I learned and I hope you would learn from my mistakes is that we can't be healthy and walk in freedom if we're hiding who God has created us and called us to be. We can't. This is not a call for you to be arrogant or for a call to you to reject change to the things in our life that need to be changed. How many of you know some of us have some stuff we need fixed in our life, right? I don't want to be the best version of Carlo. I want to be the best version of God's version of Carlo. Make sense? I, don't, I, I, I want to be who he has called me to be. So this is a call for us to find our God-given personality, our God-given voice, our God-given gifts, and then unleash them on the world for God's glory, because we can only stay stealth for so long. Eventually, we're going to be put in a situation where it has to get called out. What if I told you you didn't have to stay undercover? What if I told you you could actually be who God has called and created you to be? You can actually let some of that out. See, when fear and insecurity grip our lives, we tend to put these self-imposed boundaries around us that limit our freedom and our joy and our potential and our dreams. But the good news is that God, well, he is good, and he is constant, and he is Lord, and so we know he's in control, and he's going to handle the big stuff. My part to play is to be and do what he's called me to do, to live my life on purpose. In fact, in one of the earliest letters the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches that he started, he actually says, it's for freedom that Christ set you free. It's for freedom, not freedom to live for yourself, not freedom to try to follow a bunch of rules to fit in, not freedom to live in fear, but freedom to be who God created you to be. At least our big idea today, it's this, hiding in fear leads to fakeness. Walking in freedom leads to purpose. 
You might be here wondering, what is this all about? What, am I on, what on earth am I here for, as Rick Warren says in the Purpose Driven Life opening statement? What's the meaning of all this? What am I supposed to do? God created us on purpose for a purpose. And so many times we don't walk in that and live in it because we're afraid. What if they see who I really am? So we don't ever want to get real. We don't ever want to be transparent. We don't want people to see us sweat because we're afraid. But fear, living in that fear, it's always going to lead us to being fakes. It's going to lead us to not being our true self. But when we walk in the path God has for us, that is where we find our purpose. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus at all. You're new to this church stuff, and you're not even ready to get all in on this Jesus stuff. That's okay. I would encourage you, take a step towards something and someone bigger than yourself, and you'll be amazed at how you're going to start to find that freedom. Now, I believe that something and that someone is Jesus in his church, but I believe you take that step towards someone bigger than yourself, and you too will find freedom. Who has God called us to be? What has God called us to do? We're going to wrestle with those questions for the rest of our time. So let's talk about it. In the last few chapters of Acts, we see the Apostle Paul on trial, facing uncertainty, constantly being tested to give an account for himself, constantly being called on the carpet for why he's in the situation that he's in. And yet Paul knew there was a purpose to his pain, and he knew that God had set him up to be right there in that situation because he was part of a much bigger story. Paul knew that everything that had happened had put him on the crash course for where he is. So where we're at in our story, Paul is still on trial, still giving question, answering questions for why he's arrested. And here's how he starts. Acts 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa, Agrippa is one of the leaders that has Paul incarcerated. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now, please, listen to me patiently. Do you notice the exclamation mark in there? Have any of you ever yelled at a judge in court? That doesn't really go well for us, right? But here, Paul is yelling at the people, passionately saying, please listen to me patiently. Don't interrupt. I've got something important to say. What does that have to do with Paul's purpose? and who he is. So in order to unpack that, let's rewind really quickly. I want to read a verse from Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Here's what it says. It says, but the Lord said, go for Saul, Paul, is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. So Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul is what he went by in the, the non-Hebrew world. And this is God talking to a man named Ananias, telling him, I need you to go to Paul and pray for Paul. So Acts chapter 9, this is when Paul first says yes to Jesus. He starts following Jesus. So from day one, Paul says yes to Jesus. God tells Paul, here's what you're going to do. You're my chosen instrument. You're going to go to Gentiles and to who? Kings, and you're going to end all the people of Israel. So what does that have to do with all the way in chapter 26? Well, see, when we refuse to look at the pain of our situation and instead focus on God's purpose in that situation, we'll discover that usually, even when we're in a bad situation, we are exactly where God wanted us to be. In the pain, in the heartache, sometimes we are exactly where we need to be for God to shine, for God to do his thing in our life, for God to teach us the great, great lesson, right? 
Some of you have foolishly prayed for patience, and you are right where God wants you to be to learn that patience. Isn't that awesome? It's not foolish to pray for patience, but you know what I'm saying. The answer to your prayer is sitting right next to you, couple. You didn't even know. God, help me be patient. Turn over and look at your husband. There's the answer to God's prayer, right? Parents of teenagers, right? That's the answer to prayer. God, help me be more like Jesus. I got something for you. Here's a 13-year-old that you'll learn all the lessons of how to be more like Jesus, right? Answer to prayer. So we want to run away from that stuff sometimes, and we don't realize we're actually right where we need to be. Paul, he knew he was right where he needed to be because God told Paul, you're going to stand before rulers, you're going to stand before kings and all the people of Israel, and you're going to tell them that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is hope. And in Acts 26, in jail, beaten down, what is Paul doing? Standing in front of a king, telling him, the truth about Jesus. So rather than fake it till he makes it, rather than, than going through the motion, Paul doubles down on his purpose, and he doubles down on who God's called him to be, and he speaks boldly, so boldly that he basically tells the king, be quiet and listen to me. Listen to me patiently. There's so much we can learn from Paul in this passage. First thing we can learn is that if we want to be free from fakeness, we have to remember that God shaped us for a purpose. God shaped you for a purpose. Let's look at verse 19. Paul, he tells his story, and he starts telling him about all the things that had happened, and he goes back through his whole testimony. And then in verse 19, Paul says, and so King Agrippa, I obeyed this, that vision from heaven. So the vision he obeyed was God's vision to go and preach the gospel. So I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, then throughout all Judea, and to the Gentiles, that all must repent from their sin and turn to who? to God, and prove that they have changed by the good they do. Some of y'all got real tight right now. Y'all don't like that part of the verse, right? Turn to God and then prove that you have changed by the good you do. You see that? The good you do is not what turns you to God. The good you do is not what saves you. But Paul's saying, if you've been changed, here's the proof, the good you do. And so that's the message Paul preached, verse 21. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time. Why? So I can testify to who? Everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to what? Rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to Jew and Gentile alike. There is Paul's purpose statement. They arrested me because I was telling people, that Jesus is their hope, that Jesus is alive, that we don't have to try to follow all the rules. It's because of the resurrection I'm in change, as we learned in our last series. That's what Paul is telling them. He was so grounded in that purpose that he knew now is the time. It's like all of Paul's life had been leading up to this moment for him to say those words to those leaders. His purpose was to share the awesome truth that God is for us with everyone. And although we share in the same purpose that Paul has, if we follow Jesus, we have this same mission and purpose too. We also have a unique shape, each and every one of us, that helps us live it out. We have a unique shape. Now, all of us can't be in the phenomenal supermodel shape of Pastor Luther, but some of us, right, we, we, we have a shape that we can be. And when it comes to your shape, I want you to remember this awesome acronym that Pastor Rick Warren gave us years ago about being, living a life on purpose, shape. S-H-A-P-E, shape. The S is for our spiritual gifts. 
Spiritual gifts. The Bible talks about spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4. These are supernatural gifts, graces. The, the, the Greek word we see translated gift there in those chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. That's the same word for grace. Charis is, is the, the Greek word there. And it just, it's unmerited favor of God. It's, a, it's not something we can earn, something we can manufacture. It comes from God. You with me? Spiritual gifts. And all of us who are in Jesus have been given spiritual gifts to use to help people to become more like Jesus. So ask yourself, what has God supernaturally gifted me to do? What's something that I can't manufacture? I can't do it on my own. I can't come up with it on my own. It's a spiritual gift. The spiritual gifts, there's gifts like administration and generosity and and wisdom and words of knowledge and leading other people. There's all kinds of spiritual gifts that God gives people. What has he supernaturally gifted you to do? You ever found yourself giving someone an answer and you're like, I don't know where that came from? Have you found yourself being patient when you normally wouldn't be patient? That's where you know, hey, that's the God. If you've had an interaction with me and, uh, you know, it seemed like, man, Carlo's being overly pleasant, right? That's where we give the glory to God, right? Because that's not, that's not the fruit of the Carlo, right? The fruit of the Carlo is not patience. It's not joy and peace, right? The fruit of the Carlo is I'm going to smack you. Get away from me. I'm doing something, right? So if I take time, I don't take the glory for that. I say, man, that's Jesus, right? Because what you just said was pretty dumb. And here's what I wanted to say to you, right? Bleep, 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 bleep. But I didn't do that. I said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Let me pray for you. Only Jesus can make a hungry, tired, frustrated Carlo stop and pray for someone. Can I just be real with y'all? Are y'all going to sit there and judge, keep judging me? You know what I'm talking about. Only Jesus can do that. So I give God the glory for that. That's what I mean. It's supernatural gift. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the Carlo, right? Fruit of the Spirit, spiritual gifts. What has God supernaturally gifted us to do? And then H, your heart. How do I know what my purpose is? How do I know what I'm supposed to be doing in this Jesus stuff? Well, what has God gifted you to do? And then what are you passionate about? What keeps you up at night? What burdens you? If you could solve one problem on planet Earth, what would be the thing you would really want to go and help with? That might be a big flag of that's something God put you on this earth to help with. What's on your heart? Next is abilities, the A. Abilities. So what do you naturally do well? Like, what are you good at? Now, we know what you're not good at, right? You guys seen the American Idol auditions, right? That's, that's, that's a textbook case of bad parents, right? Why did you bring that baby on national television telling her she can sing? You know she's terrible. Like, we know she's terrible, right? Stop lying. What happened to truth and honesty, right? Like, come on, don't get up there. You're terrible. Abilities, what do you naturally do? A lot of us want to do things that we are not naturally. You've heard Paul say in Philippians 4.13, maybe you haven't heard this, but you might have seen that at a football game, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That does not mean you can sing through Christ who strengthens you, right? Just don't take Bible verses out of context. You cannot run fast through Christ who strengthens you, right? You're either fast or you're slow. Like some of us need to live in that truth. What do you naturally do well? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to set you free from chasing all these crazy things. Like you're too slow, Stop trying to be a sprinter. Throw the shot put, right? You might be strong. What are you naturally do well? Here's what God typically does, how I've seen it. He takes what we naturally can do, and it is supplemented by all of these awesome spiritual gifts. 
For example, I'm an inquisitive person. I like to read. I like to research. I have to have answers. So I dig for those things. And then God gifts me with these Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 gifts of wisdom and discernment and teaching ability, Ephesians 4. And I'm able to communicate and teach because God takes what I naturally do, which is talk a lot about things I like, right? I'm Naturally, I can talk for days about stuff that I want to talk about, that I'm passionate about. And I love to find answers, and I love to kind of nerd out. And God takes that, supplements it with all these awesome spiritual gifts, and I get to live my purpose as a teacher living in both of those worlds. Make sense? It's how I can sleep good knowing I am living my dream. I'm doing exactly what God put me on planet Earth to do. Abilities. P, personality. Personality. What are you suited to do? A lot of us have the desire to do things, but our personality may clash with that. So we have to understand our personality type in order to see where we best thrive well. Years ago, my wife was asked to help lead a kid's Christmas program. They were getting ready for the Christmas program. If you know my wife and you know myself, we're kind of firm disciplinarians when it comes to our kids. And my wife was in there for one practice before she realized I do not have the gift of dealing with all these little kids running around unsupervised because I'm going to jack one of these kids up, and then mom is going to be mad, and then I'm going to jack the mom up and say, well, if you would just jack up your kid, right? Many a child in that hallway out there has gotten the knife hand of death from me of, boy, if you don't stop running in this hallway, if you don't talk respectfully, that's just the way that I am. If you don't like it, come see me. We talk about it, right? But seriously, that's just the way that we are. So we probably don't need to be in the room that needs the most patience, right? Three and four. I taught uh, jiu-jitsu to three- and four-year-olds for several years, the difference is I can exercise the fire out of them, right? I can beat them into submission through push-ups and flutter kicks. I can just teach chokes on the kid who's acting. I can just have the whole class choke that one kid, right? I, I can't do that in Wonderland, right? I can't do that in one-way street for your kid. Aren't y'all thankful I'm right here, right, and not down the road? God has given some people the personality like Heather to be down there and love your kids in a safe environment. I'm going to stay on this side. Is that okay? That's, that's me and my wife. Personality. Your personality will help lead you sometimes into what you're called to do, what you're not suited to do, personality. And then E, experiences. I love this. Experiences. What has your life history prepared you to do? I think we're all shaped by our past and shaped by our story, and this story oftentimes is an indicator of who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do. I know myself, Pastor, Pastor Luther, Pastor Chris, we could sit here for days and talk to you about how our church experiences shape and form what we do as pastors and leading the church and all of that. It come, we know it's because of all that stuff that we're here right now. Each of those things combined, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences, that's your unique shape that helps you live out God's purpose, God's plan for your life. Pretty straightforward. So Paul, he is very confident in his shape, and he's preaching the truth to these leaders, and he actually gets to the bottom line. Look, it's about Jesus, and then here's what happens. Suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you are what? Insane. Too much study has made you crazy. Any nerds in the house, bookworms in the house, right? Probably too shy to raise your hand, but you know what I'm saying. We can relate to this statement. College students can relate to this statement. Too much study has made you crazy. You ever lost your mind studying? Paul is preaching, living in his passion, and they say, bro, you're crazy. But here's the other thing we learned from Paul. What God says about you outweighs the opinions of others. Some of us are living in fear 
and not being who God's called us to be and living out our unique shape because we're afraid of what somebody else has to say about the matter, of what someone else is going to say about it. But look what Paul replies. Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth, and King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. Translation, everybody knows about Jesus. Stop acting like you don't know. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do, and Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? And Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these changes. Rather than focus on the emphasis, on the insult, Paul centered on his shape, his purpose, who God had called him to be, and he brings the circle back to Jesus. I want everyone to be like me, a follower of Christ, except for these chains. What shape are you in? So in one of Paul's earlier letters to the church at Corinth, it's a crazy church. They were really messed up. Paul talked to them about shape. He didn't use those words, but he talked about gifts and uniqueness and how everyone has a part to play. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul said, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. All of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you a part of it. He goes on to say in that chapter that, you know, an ear shouldn't want to be a hand, and a hand shouldn't want to be a foot, and a foot shouldn't want to be an eye. And if the whole body was an eye, where would the hearing be? And he kind of uses this illustration to show that every single part is unique. And I think those four parts he lists, the foot, the hand, the ear, the eye, they really connect to who we are personality-wise. Think about the foot. The foot, always on the move, high energy. The foot works hard, and it rests hard. However, the foot stays covered up for the most part. We've got some awesome foot soldiers at OneChurch.tv. Luther talked about them a little bit. People who get here when no one is looking and do the hard work and set up, and then they chill off alone, and you never even know about it. The foot recharges, it recharges itself often in isolation. Maybe you're here, and you're an introvert, and you're thinking, I can't be used in the church because I kind of, I like to stay to myself, and I'm here to tell you, Paul said, don't feel bad if you're a foot. You're important. The foot's important. He talks about the hand. When you think about a hand, what's a hand always doing? Always reaching out, always grasping, useful. The first impression, what do we do? We give someone our hand to shake their hand, right? High five. I think of the hand like that extroverted person, that outgoing person, always up front, always serving, always being involved. Our ears are, are vital to our processing as humans. What does the ear do, though? I think of the ear as always being laid back, taking it all in, listening always attentive to what's going on. That might be you, a thinker, a thinker. You might, man, I'm not good at public speaking, but you have a brilliant mind. You might be an ear, and you're so busy trying to be a foot, you're faking it. Any of you ever walked on your ear? doesn't work. The eye, the other part of our processing unit that Paul talks about, the eye is always in motion. Even when it's closed, it's always in motion. Visionary, dreamer, optimistic, always their sights on something else. Which one of those do you identify with? Regardless of your personality type, you have an important part to play in the world. God shaped you for a purpose and on purpose. And what he says about you outweighs what other people think, what other people have to say. Hiding in fear leads to fakeness. Walking in freedom 
leads to purpose. So where are you at with all of this? How do you feel when you hear that there's freedom available for you? Are you living in stealth mode? Are you hiding the gifts, the things God's called you to be? Let me give you three quick things you can do to maximize your personality, your, your gifts for, for God's purposes. The first thing is to celebrate the uniqueness of your shape and join a team. Celebrate the uniqueness of your shape. Some of you, you need to sell. This is who I am. This is who God's called me to be. Some of you have this place at your house where you keep all of your crazy. You know what I'm talking about? Because you don't want people to see you're crazy. Some of y'all need to put your crazy back in that place, just being real, or at least pace yourself in, in giving us all your crazy. But celebrate the uniqueness of who God's called you and created you to be, and then join a team. Stop by the Next Steps table and see us and serve. Is fixing coffee on a Sunday morning going to fulfill God's purpose and plan for your life? I don't know, but I know it's a start. It's a step in the direction of being others-focused and helping. You can serve in so many ways around here, from serving in kids' environments to helping set up to helping tear down to volunteering in the community. There are places we can connect you where you can start using your shape to make a difference in the world. And then beware of personality differences. One of the main reasons we take personality assessments is to know how to interact with other people. It's not about me. It's about how do I deal with someone who's different than I am. So we're, we need to be aware that not everyone is different, but different is good. And at least to the third, which is to accept and appreciate diversity. Accept and appreciate that all of us together make up this awesome body. And not everyone's going to be a foot. Not everyone's going to have a microphone. Not everyone's going to go serve and do this other thing here. But it's not a hierarchy. It's not one thing being more important than the other. It's all of us being engaged, doing our part together. So value people's differences. One thing I love about our church staff is we're so different. We have things in common, but we have so many things that aren't in common either, and yet that's the beauty. Chris Edmondson's one of my closest friends. We have a lot of stuff in common, and we have a whole lot of stuff not in common. And the more I find that I don't have in common with him, the better I become as a person because we grow better together. Today, I'm not ashamed of personality God's given me and the gifts he's given me and it's allowed me to live the life of my dreams to do what God's called me to do and to just I mean use his gifts see people's lives change it's such an awesome privilege to do that it's because I refuse to live in stealth mode anymore I don't have to fly under the radar and you don't either understanding your shape is about doing what God's called you to do building each other up so that God gets the credit you don't have to fear you don't have to hide. God's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. So you can trust he's going to do his part. You embrace the unique shape and purpose that he has for you. Hiding in fear leads to fakeness. Walking in freedom leads to purpose. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the power of your word. Help us to live out this truth. Help us to know, God, that you are for us that you've equipped us and called us to do great things, not just to sit in a church building and keep it all to ourselves, God, but to share this awesome truth with other people. If there's a person here, God, who's not said yes to you, I pray this would be the moment. They say, God, I'm tired of running, tired of trying to do it on my own. I need your help. And God, I know you'll do what only you can do. You show up, you save. Help us to walk in your truth and in your freedom. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.